like a city breached without walls, is one who lacks self-control. Let's pray. Father, you are the great reconciler, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Bring us back to you. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. So we ask now that as we study, as we listen, as we learn, Father, you would teach us about self-control. In Jesus' name, amen. Historians say that A.D. 410 marked the beginning of a very slow and lengthy fall of Rome. They described the third siege by the Visigoths, okay, which were Germanic tribes. They were coming to steal and loot and kill. They described that third siege, this was the third time they'd done it, as smooth and controlled. The written record records that upon the arrival of the Visigoths to the great city of Rome, which was fortified by walls and gates, rebellious slaves opened the Salarian gate and allowed them to pour into the city. Buildings were burned, people were murdered, the city was wrecked and pillaged. Upon hearing the news of the fall of the Eternal City, as they called it, Christian St. Jerome, this was a Bible scholar who had studied in Rome, we know him as one of our early church fathers who translated the Bible in, into Latin, we call it the Vulgate. He said this when he heard, my voice sticks in my throat and as I dictate, sobs choke me. The city which had taken the whole world was itself taken. This particular siege of Rome is simply a historic demonstration of that which truly conquers an individual themselves. And so this morning, we conclude our series on the fruit of the Spirit. You may have memorized it now, but Galatians 5, and 23 says this, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last attribute is self-control. Proverbs 25, 28, what we read in our text of emphasis, reads this way. The English Standard Version says, an individual without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. New International Version says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. American Standard Version says, he whose spirit is without restraint is like a city that is broken down and without walls. The Living Bible says, a man without self-control is as defenseless as a broken city with broken down walls. And the message, very clear, very modern, says this, a person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. Whichever way you word it, 
whichever way you spin it. Self-control is the human defense against self-destruction, and it is also one very important key to grow and to thrive. So what is self-control? Its usage in Galatians 5:23 is defined as mastery, self-mastery, self-restraint. The definition continues describing it as a mastery of desires and passions, especially sensual appetites. It proceeds out from within oneself, but not by oneself. What does that mean? It means Based on Galatians, it is spirit control. Not that the spirit of God is controlling you, but that the spirit of God gives you divine power to control yourself. And here is, in my opinion, the best definition that I discovered. One word. <clears throat> Dominion. Dominion. To rule, to rule over yourself, to be able to call the shots from a place of principle, of reason and intellect, and then fulfill them. In the Garden of Eden, God gave the ability to humanity to have dominion over their own selves, to be self-ruled, self-monitored, self-disciplined in a way that kept their appetites and passions balanced and controlled. Their lives were not dictated or dominated by their vast emotions, God-given God emotions, or impulses for sex or for food. Their lives were dictated by principle, by their intellect, by their reasoning powers, and of course, by God. It was after the fall of our first parents that things got out of whack. And so now, we find ourselves weak and bankrupt of self-control. So much so that the English language has idioms and phrases like, he couldn't help himself or she couldn't help herself. And we all know what that's like. I just had to do it. I couldn't help it. Chris Farley was an American comedian. He did a series of films in the 90s. You may be familiar with that name. And he had his run of fame during that time, the 90s era. And he died of a drug overdose at age 33, sadly. And so maybe you guys remember uh, uh, in the 90s, VH1 would always do these specials. And they did a special where they were highlighting celebrities who passed away early, too early. And one of those celebrities was Chris Farley. And so they interviewed a number of people who were in his sphere, who were close to him. And one individual they interviewed said this. They said, he did everything too much. He ate too much. He cracked too many jokes. He slept with too many women. He did too many drugs and he did too much of it. Everything was excessive with Chris. No self-control. 
In January earlier this year, uh, myself, the pastoral staff, we, uh, we did a pilot transformation group. Now, what is that? We've launched uh, this uh, discipleship initiative entitled Whole Life, and we would like to start another peer group, which is entitled transformation groups. And now the goal of transformation groups is to work as a community and help each other as peers and support each other in making uh, positive, long-lasting changes in our life. And so we needed to pilot the program and see how it was going to work. So we all decided that we were going to do a fitness transformation. And so uh, Helen Macy, one of our Massey, one of our own Advent hopers, uh, she helped us. She's a, a fitness trainer, a personal coach, and um, she uh, she surveyed us. What do we want to see? What do, what's our end goal? So I got this picture of J Lo. <laughs> Put it on my mirror. <laughs> that no. Uh, <laughs> And so I told her, look, this is what I want. Give me the whip Michelle into the best shape of her life plan. That's what I want, the best shape. And so what I came to discover (laughs) was that was uh, a lot more difficult than I had imagined. What? What I had to overcome for the next 13 weeks went deeper than food and workouts. What I had to overcome was my desire to fill a present gratification at the expense of my end goal. For me, working out wasn't the problem. It was making it to the gym. For me, eating healthy wasn't the problem. It was eating when I shouldn't be eating, eating too much, or snacking was the problem. My biggest challenge for 13 weeks was teaching myself discipline and self-control. What I came to discover was that the more I gave into my appetite, the weaker I became the next time. 11 o'clock, I was up, opening my fridge, shut the fridge, disappear, come back, open the fridge, <laughs> look in the fridge. It's only water and grapes, Michelle. Shut the fridge. <laughs> But you know what? The more I overcame my appetite, the stronger I became the next time. In the book of Judges, beginning in chapter 13, the Bible, the narrative outlines the story of the strongest man to ever walk the face of the earth. With his bare hands, he tore a lion in two. And then he used just the jawbone, the jaw of a donkey to kill a thousand men. Yet somehow, at the end of his life, he found himself blind, bald, beaten, and chained to the house of this idol god named Dagon. 
How? How could Samson wind up there? Who could possibly conquer this man? The answer is no one. No one but himself. The lust of women was a reoccurring pattern in his life, and he had this inability to control his passions. It led him to trust a betrayer, cutting short not only his mission, but his life. In Judges, if you have your Bibles or if you have your digital Bible, in Judges chapter 16, Look at what happens to him, starting in verse 15, Judges 16, starting in verse 15, it says, Then she said to him, speaking of Delilah, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times now. She kept asking him, what's the secret to your strength, Samson? And he kept telling her these stories and these lies. And so she finally says, you've mocked me three times now and have not told me what makes your strength so great. Finally, after she had nagged him with her words day after day and pestered him, he was tired to death. So he told her his whole secret and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, then my strength would leave me. I would become weak and be like anyone else. When Delilah realized that he had told her his whole secret, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, This time come up, for he has told his whole secret to me. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She let, them, she let him fall asleep on her lap, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. He began to weaken, and his strength left him. Then she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. They say that Samson was the strongest man that ever lived. But I disagree. I disagree. I say he was one of the weakest. Because a man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. Without self-control, self will be the cause of our ruin. Forbes, an American business magazine, recommends, there's an article, it recommends five ways to improve self-control. This is what it says. Number one, remove temptation. Remove Temptation. When we started our fitness journey, our transformation journey, the first, one of the first things that we had to do was clear out all the sugar, the chips, the goodies, the snacks, the fruit snacks. <laughs> Love those. Clear them out. 
Because when you start this journey, you don't want anything in your face to tempt you. The article says, training self-control through repeated practice does not result in generalized improvements in self-control. Contrary to popular opinion, even if you try practicing self-control, it doesn't actually get you the next level up. Hmm. That's interesting. Measure your progress. Number two, measure your progress. Monitoring your progress, it says, keeps you focused on your goals. Monitoring helps us become experts on our own behavior. It makes habits less difficult to govern or change. Habits. During this transformation journey, we used fitness trackers and we wrote down the amount of weight we were able to lift one week and what we were lifting the next week so we could see the improvement, so we could track the progress. Number three, learn how to manage stress. The article said that diet, exercise, and rest improves focus. It improves your cognitive function and your health, of course. You make poor decisions when you're sleep deprived or your blood sugar is low, or when you're not very healthy in general. You make poor decisions. We already knew that though, I think. <laughs> make sure to rest. But then it says, number four, prioritize. Prioritize certain things. Use a schedule or a to-do list so you can see progress despite being overwhelmed. You've got a lot to do, you have a to-do list, but you keep checking it off. At least you got this done, you got this done. Prioritize. Prioritize. It helps with decision-making. And then lastly, take it easy on yourself. When you fail, when you don't quite meet the mark, try again. Try again. Don't worry about it. Try again. The article quoted Winston Churchill and said, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Dust off. Try again. Attitude is key. Here's also something, not doing something because it's bad or, because it's, or doing something because it's good is not actually true motivation. Nurses and doctors treat people with lung cancer every day, but they take a smoke break. It's not about the knowledge we have or know that makes us do something. There needs to be a greater goal, a greater motivation, something bigger than yourself. Self-control, or even its synonym, temperance, is the ability to tell yourself no, or enough is enough. It is the ability to set self aside to fulfill something greater or achieve something greater. 
And it's not only for temporal things or physical things or things such as food or physique or diet. It's about abstract ideas as well concerning the greater good. It's for justice. It's for love. It's for truth. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This is a spirit-led surrender of the things you want now that dim in comparison to things you want the most. And if you study scripture, you'll realize that without spirit-directed self-control, the world would have perished. How so? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John. He asked them to remain and pray while he goes off a bit, a bit further, to do the same. Of course, they fall asleep. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. But this is what Jesus says. And so in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, the Bible says, And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Verse 42, again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 44, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. Three times. What was Jesus actually saying? Father, I want to get up. The weight of the world is too heavy. The sin is too heavy. The whole world is on my shoulders. Let me get up. If it's possible, let me get up. You know what the answer was? No. No. So he stayed. He could have left the garden in that moment. He stayed. That's where the battle was won. That's where the decided decision to go to the cross was solidified. He stayed. Self-dominion, self-rule. Spirit-led control according to the word and will of God. But it doesn't end there. The story continues in the next chapter. Jesus is on the cross, and people are looking at him. They, they begin to talk. 
chapter 27, verse 38, it says this, then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, you, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and, and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. Save yourself, Jesus. Get down. Get down off the cross. If you are who you say you are, you can save yourself, right? Get down. You know, the devil loves to use people to derail you from your purpose, from the greater good. He'll use anything. But Jesus had already committed, he'd already settled in his mind things ahead of time. Little by little, those three and a half years, little by little, every day, practicing spirit-led self-control led him to this point. And so Jesus hung there, beaten, bruised, in pain, feet and hands nailed to the cross, disrespected with a crown of thorns, I'm sure he wanted to get down. I'm sure. With the weight of the world, I'm sure he wanted to get down. But because in his life, he disciplined himself to say yes and to say no, according to God's greater purpose, he stayed there. And the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. If Jesus didn't have self-control, self-discipline, we would have perished. We would have perished. And it's this type of self-control, this divine power that moves according to principle is what God wants to give his people. I think of Uriah, the Hittite. Remember Uriah? David stole his wife took her, power rape, took the wife, found out she was pregnant, called the husband from war, showed him to a good time. He said, Uriah, come back, relax. Go see your wife, wash your feet. Uriah said, I will not. Men are fighting and dying. I will not. I will not visit my wife. So he slept outside with the servants. David said, Oh man, let me try that again. Uriah, stick around, come, come back tonight. Let's feast, let's party, let's get drunk. Then maybe surely he'll go home, lay with his wife and 
this will all be settled. No one will know that that's my child. Second time, Uriah goes, he feasts with the king, he gets drunk, and he goes and lays and sleeps outside with the servants. Self-control according to principle. He was murdered because he had too much self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is a package gift from God. And you cannot have one without the other. No self-control, no love. No love for yourself. No self-control, no peace. No self-control, no joy. You can't have joy if you have no peace. No self-control, no faithfulness. You just have to do no faithfulness, no self-control, no kindness. You do anything to fulfill that gratification, that impulse, that appetite, no kindness. The Spirit provides believers with the attributes we have been void of since the fall of humanity. My friend Renella, I was talking about this with her, the fruit of the Spirit, and she summarized it like this. She says, she summarized it saying, the attributes are present. The Spirit gives these attributes and they, they manifest themselves as a way that promotes health, happiness, and safety for the believer. Having self-control is not your ticket to heaven. Jesus is your ticket. He's your salvation. It's a free gift. By faith, you believe in him. You have salvation. Having self-control can help one to live a, excuse me, can help one to live in healthy, happy, and safe community with their neighbor, with themselves, and with God. This is true for this earth and the earth to come. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, athletes exercise self-control in all things. Even seeing my girl Serena killing it, the goat. Exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. A greater goal. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Without Him, we are like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. We need the transformation that He brings. We need the defense that He brings. We need the beauty that he brings to our life. So my plea for you this morning, ask God to come into your heart. Ask him to bear fruit in your life. And he will. He will. Amen.